I'm Rosara Dawson, and you're listening to Never Tell Me The Odds. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Never Tell Me The Odds, our official ESPN Star Wars podcast. We got Clinton Yates. We got Ryan McGee. I'm Art Ocal. We are from three different corners of the ESPN universe, nerding out about Star Wars. And we have reached the conclusion of season one of Ahsoka. And boys, let me tell you, we have done a few episodes of this show. I'm very happy that we get to do it. And by the way, you can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. I have never had more to talk about than this episode right here as we reach the end of season one. And maybe we should just start with some overall thoughts because there is a lot, a lot to unpack with this episode. So McGee, overall thoughts on the season that was with Ahsoka. Well, I mean, I'll talk about where we were left. And where we were left felt so much like the end of a George Lucas trilogy, right? The end of one of the films within the trilogy, which is we were left open-ended. We were left with hope. We were also left with fear. And it just felt like I, I kept thinking about Dave Filoni because we're about the same age. You know, we became fans around the same time. And all I could think was this guy, got to make the movie that he wanted to make spread out over all of these episodes and the end of it, it felt like it, they were leaving us at the end of empire strikes back. Right. I mean, it kind of had that old school Lucas feel to it, but it's just, um, there's so much to process. And we talked on the show before about the balance struck between, you know, those who didn't know anything about any of these characters and those who knew everything about these characters through rebels and books and comics and whatever else, and the balance that was struck was perfect, and it just left you wanting more, but also feeling satisfied. And to me, that's uh, that's as high a compliment as I can give uh, at the end of an arc like this. Arda, your thoughts? All right, so now I want to talk about the character that I love the most in Star Wars, the one that I had been looking forward to seeing in this show all along and how we would see this character on screen in live action. And that is Grand Admiral Thrawn. As you know, I am president of the Grand Admiral Thrawn fan club. I literally just did a TED Talk about Thrawn this past weekend. That's how much I love this character. And I have to say that I am very, very happy with... A few things, quite a few things about Thrawn in this series. And it really starts with his introduction. The way that he was introduced, the chanting, the night troopers, his grand entrance, even his first line. It just felt majestic and powerful to me. And I honestly put it on par with Revenge of the Sith and the birth of Darth Vader. The goosebumps that you felt watching that in the prequel trilogy... I very much felt the same way about Thrawn's entrance into the show. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that we didn't see it until the sixth episode of the series, almost near the end of the series. So it was a great buildup, especially in my mind. And when we finally saw him, it was great. What I kept thinking about with this 
Stanley Kubrick-like reveal of the troopers and of Thrawn and with the organ music and all those things that we talked about and the funky masks and the and the you know the the red sashes reminded me of the cowboys, mm-hmm. the bad guys from Tombstone, right? But this is like Lord of the Flies, right? I mean, this is like the those Japanese soldiers they would find on an island who'd been out there for 20 years and right. thought World War II was still going on, right? I mean, th- these dudes are broken. And so everyone's off their game. No one really knows how to fight anymore. Uh, no one certainly knows how to fight within the new rules. And so, you know, and we everyone thinks Ahsoka's dead and she shows back up. Everyone thinks, well, I'm never going to see this one, Sabine again, and she shows back up. Well, it, 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 it is great to see a familiar face was the reaction mm-hmm. that we have from Thrawn. So he's off his game, but then at the same time, you know, he made his little master strokes. It felt like everything he did, especially in the final episode, was calculated. And it was interesting as somebody who has absorbed the Thrawn trilogies, the Timothy Zahn uh, Thrawn trilogies, uh, and, and and knows the backstory, especially for the purposes of Ahsoka, knows the backstory of Thrawn's uh, missions with Anakin Skywalker and with Darth Vader and him being one of the few people that really knows that Anakin was Darth Vader and, and that back and forth that they had during their missions. It was very interesting to see how he processed the information that Ahsoka is Anakin's uh, apprentice. That was very interesting and in how he processed it, essentially saying, I, there will be no negotiations with Anakin Skywalker's apprentice. We will not be speaking to this person until the very end when you had that impassioned speech over the radio and saying, I, I win the day as he goes back into the known galaxy, leaving Ahsoka and Sabine there, which was a very powerful moment. But even to see... Uh, his the moving of the chess pieces right like even morgan elsbeth and, and and the battle we'll get to uh the 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 battles in a little bit but even to see him how he uh, approached morgan and what morgan would have to do essentially in service of the empire not necessarily in her head of course because you saw her say for dathomir so there was of course a different motive at the end of the day for for morgan but how Thrawn put those chess pieces in play um, strategically one by one, uh, rain hellfire upon them. Uh, you know, that one scene where he he essentially knew that Ahsoka would follow the same path that Anakin would have, just go right through the front door, right? Like that, these, these calculated decisions that were made by Thrawn is exactly what I was craving in seeing the character in live action. So I'm very grateful that we got to see that. I am left completely thinking that Thrawn will indeed be a an incredible villain for whatever is to come. I love that Thrawn has won the day. It's Thrawn 1, Rebels 0 in this case after Ahsoka. Uh, or a 10-9 round for Thrawn, if you want to put it into um, uh, combat terms. I love that. And it, it makes me very happy as somebody who reveres the character and loves to see uh, what uh, the evolution of Thrawn. That's the other big thing for me, is that 
we still don't have many answers. Like we, we, we heard Ezra talk about it briefly about how, you know, when they got onto the, uh, onto Peridia, Thrawn woke up the great mothers and, uh, they largely haven't been together. There was a lot of fighting in the beginning. If you really look and, and, and this is, this is who we are, but if you really look, there's this kind of chain mail armor that Ezra's wearing. It's dog yeah. tags. It's dog tags, which means yeah. that the, 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 when they first got to this planet and they first started fighting, Ezra was was wrecking everything. And so Thrawn's like, you know what? I'm backing up. And Ezra's like, I'm outnumbered. I'm backing up. No one has fought at all. But, but the goal was to get home. And he kept saying that. And by the way, how evilly cool was it? Please open a channel for me. <laughs> and he, and he, basically, he basically sent an extended finger uh, out the window as he left town. And so that was, that was it, but, but again, to me, it felt like the end of Empire Strikes Back. You know, it felt like the end of Attack of the Clones. It's open-ended, and it's open-ended for a reason, and it's because we have to wait and see what's next. And, you know, I remember sitting in the theater when Empire ended and going, is this, we're ending it now? And that's kind of how I felt on, that's kind of how I felt on on Wednesday night, but that, but it was, it wasn't a bad feeling. But Empire, there are legendary battles. There are other things. The the open-ended part of it is only part of the storytelling process, whereas I feel that from the, from episodes one through eight, I just don't feel that we moved that far forward with what was actually being told. This presentation of a series struck me as more of a painting than it did sort of a strip. Like everything was there the whole time. It was just a matter of what you looked at at any given moment. And again, that's not a knock. It was just so far away from what we had seen from not just an internal pacing of episodes, but the general goal of what the show was doing, you mentioned before, Ryan, about how Endor kind of took a long way to build up. However, what it was based on that made it good, it was a very specific delineation of the interpersonal relationships between the humans on the ground, in the towns, and on the planets. Every character in this particular series is chasing something in the sky in their own different mm-hmm. way. And it, it mm-hmm. just it just it made for a completely different kind of show that. I just found it took me a while to process that that's really all we were going to get because the characters and we met them did not exist in this particular situation either. So there's a very in-between phase, I think, of where the characters are in terms of how we relate to them as an audience that took a while for me to sort of really get into. And I'm not sure that after eight episodes, I really, in fact, was that into it. It, I, I do appreciate the swings. I do appreciate the out there storytelling and the different ways that they will present Star Wars. Like you said, Andor didn't mention the Force once. It very much was a spy thriller. It was a completely different way of storytelling, uh, no matter where it falls on the timeline. Meanwhile, Ahsoka is the exact opposite. We have magic. We have Force. We have this yeah. and that. Like, there's so many different things. I will say that Ahsoka when we look back on it could very well be the launch pad. And I know we're not a prediction show here, so I don't want to dive too much into this, but this could be the launch pad for a whole new era of storytelling because now we have an entirely new galaxy. And for one of the big question marks that star Wars fans might have is where are these characters during the sequel trilogy? Right. But now we have a logical answer of where they might be. They might all be stuck on Peridia or that new galaxy, not being able to come back to help with whatever was happening with Rey and Kylo Ren, Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, et cetera, right? So, like, just to me, we have opened a whole new era of being able to tell these stories with different characters, flush it out. It's not just timeline anymore. It's location. 
And it's magic and it's witchcraft. It's these things that, that this universe has never touched on before. And there were little glimpses of it, you know, in the Mandalorian, you know, we saw moments with Grogu. I think about him in the abandoned, you know, Jedi temple. And we saw visuals that we had never seen before. And we saw powers that we'd never seen before. I mean, listen, in the, in the, in the sequel trilogy, we saw this, this physical connection that happens across the force that was written yeah. about, you know, in the books. And and so I, I think that it's interesting to me as we, as we widen the scope and widen the scope. And now you have literally, literally gone to another galaxy. You have left the core galaxy that we've been in for all these decades. And so, yeah, now, now you clean the slate. And I, I'll say this too. I think we're still getting used to, and when I say we, I'm talking about everyone. Yeah. I think we're still getting used to a television series as opposed to the intensity of a two hour and 20 minute movie where, you know, we have to get it all in there and we're not going to get it again for another three years. And so it has been certainly different for me and I've gotten used to it. And then it's the different pacing of the different series, you know, and again, what we talk about all the time is that we're, we're in this era now where whatever you want, you can get, you can go as deep as you want. You cannot go as deep as you want. You know, you don't, you don't need to know any more about Thrawn than what you know, if all you know is what we just saw in, in Ahsoka. But if you're Arda and you've read every book and every comic and you've been on every fan message board or whatever, you almost know too much. Right. And so, so, right. but, but you can, but you can do that. And, and, and if you want to know all about Ahsoka's upbringing and you want to watch every episode of every animated series, including Jedi tales, it's all right there. But if you yeah. don't, you don't have to, but, but it, it's, but the pacing of it, I think we're still getting used to it, You guys had to talk to me through this with Andor. Yeah. When the moments were great. They were amazing. But, you know, I, after about the fourth campfire conversation, I was ready to get on with it. And so, you know, the, and, and, and I sensed that a little bit with you guys with this, too, where I never felt that. I never right. felt that with this I, I at all. I will say this. I will say this. The last thing I'll say on Thrawn, though I have my question marks on him being the powerful military leader here, I do understand the time frame and everything you mentioned. That makes sense. I have also put my trust in Dave Filoni. I think that Dave Filoni by now has shown me more than enough that I can trust his process, okay? He's my 76ers at this moment. I'm trusting the process. <laughs> I am going to leave it in his capable hands. So I'm just going to release any concerns or doubts that I have about my boy GAT, and I'm just going to let Filoni cook. Don't get me wrong. This is not a situation where because I don't like something necessarily that I think it is thus bad. That's yeah. not where we are. But if you look at, let's just say the way Dion's offense runs, old boy from Kent State comes in, RPOs everywhere. They don't really run the ball. <laughs> they throw a lot of short passes. Everything is a read. You never know what's going to happen on any play outside of what Shador makes a decision on. This is where this storytelling is from. I am a pro set style guy. You know what I'm saying? Give me two down backs. Give me a couple of wideouts. And let's run the damn ball down their throats. This is kind of what I'm looking for oftentimes, but this is simply a different style of football. Doesn't mean it's ineffective. It just means it's not how I would run my offense. That said, I do think there is something to be said for the idea of bringing people in to the Star Wars galaxy with something that is inherently ethereal, because that is clearly what this was going for in terms of people that were fans of Ahsoka or other characters that were not a part of sort of the mainstream sort of action packed portions of this and then just kind of letting them live. You know what I mean? You're getting a lot of sort of, again, 
stares into the distance, thoughtfulness and discussion about what could or could not be, as opposed to here's what the mission is. Here's what we've got to do. Wars of stars. We're just in a different place. And that's why I said it feels like we're at summer camp versus the regular school year. And everybody loves summer camp. Don't get me wrong. It's just we're in such a different place from an intro standpoint that I do wonder what those who have zero connection to the animated series or any of the books think about it, because there was so much there that wasn't obvious unless you, again, specifically knew what you were looking at. Well, and I, and I go back to this all the time, and, and she'd kill me if she knew I did this every episode, but I sit across the living room from one of these people that you're talking about. My <laughs> wife's not watched any of the animated series. Right. And when we had a mother and son reunion at the end of this episode of, of Ezra Bridger, a character that my wife did not even know existed four weeks ago, and Hera, a character she did not know even existed when this series started. You know, it was, oh my gosh, it's the girl from Sky High, right? I mean, yeah. th that's all she knew. She cried <laughs> when that moment took place. Wow, wow. And, and so so, so it's been interesting watching the reaction there because that's what I keep, I think that's why I keep going back to it serving two different audiences, right? And, and she yeah. is a Star Wars fan. She dresses like Princess Leia every single, she's old school, right? Princess Leia every Halloween, uh, Princess Leia every summer at the Heroes Convention in Charlotte. I mean, it's just that way. But for her to feel that emotional connection as a mom, and when the episode ended, she looked at me and she goes, that was a mother and a son reuniting. Didn't even know. Like, had no idea the background for Rebels. So, right. the, to me, and, and you're talking about Filoni, it is the most amazing thing for me to watch a, a director of animation, right? Someone who can't yes. sit still unless he's sketching, right? Everything is so visual to him. And these episodes, and I, and I felt like I felt like it even became more so um, as it went along, he wasn't, he didn't direct every episode, but his fingerprints were certainly on it. You know, I, I kind of envision the, the first images we see of Filoni with George Lucas and the famous wall of storyboards, right? And Lucas is like, mm -hmm. no, yes, no, yes, no, yes. Do this, mm -hmm. make that ship bigger, make that sun bigger. But there are moments in this series that Filoni, who, who says he loves Lord of the Rings, right? And, and, and again, is, is of our generation. It was there were obviously, like I mentioned, some Stanley Kubrick, you know, influences in these things but when when the the see the visuals of this and having watched rebels and having watched clone wars and you and to see it all in 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 real life was uh again i don't know dave floney never met him but i can feel it through the screen um yes. because i just think about man what if i were given the opportunity and he's living the dream and but but the visuals of this series were just really really striking to me so speaking of visuals, the one thing I would like to mention from the season finale, uh, which is very likely going to be a huge theme in the second season, was the appearance of the Mortis gods in statue yep. form. Uh, that was extremely important, and we saw multiple references to that. Now we know what was essentially calling Balin's skull. I know Balin and Shin didn't have very much screen time in the finale, but they were very, very important moments. Most of all, Balin standing at the Mortis gods, the father, the son, and notice the daughter didn't have a full gone. statue. Yeah, gone. We She's gone. See, yep. Right. But we did see the Morai, the owl, in the presence of Ahsoka, and that has been a presence that has been there through Ahsoka's entire journey through Star Wars. Anyone who watched the Clone Wars knows the arc of the Mortis gods, and they represent the essence of the Force, the, the dark side, the light, etc. So this is going to be a huge theme, and that's why I thought it was also interesting we saw Anakin at the very end in fo Force Ghost form, because now we can speculate on, wow, the father, the son, the daughter, like there's going to be a lot of interesting 
um, conversation about this. And Ahsoka saying we're exactly where we need to be. Yeah, for the story, too. They're exactly where they need to be, Clinton. I agree. It's like one of those deals where you know how, like, sometimes you know a place. you like, oh, I've been to that part of town. Oh, I've been to this part of town. But then you figure out there's like a road in between. You're like, whoa, I, I didn't know those two things. You could get there this way. I feel like that's kind of where we are now with where we're going. We're moving into, you know, a whole other situation. And again, we're not going to speculate. But, you know, people talk about this concurrent timeline with the sequel trilogy, which some have used the word erase. I'm not going to use that word, but this is kind of where we're thinking is that we're just going to get a whole other series that happens kind of independently, if you will, of that, which is one thing. But I, I will say this. And for somebody like me, that's kind of in between where you guys are in terms of what's in who's in everybody's household. There was a part of this that tried to serve too many things and didn't get enough of each for me. Like if we know these characters from the animation. Okay. Let's see them in a space that reminds me of something that is closer to what I knew. If we don't know them from the animation and we're saying we're just introducing them, I don't know that people who didn't know who they are got enough from what we already saw because so much, at least in my mind, was required to even understand any part of their relationships because so much was left unsaid. So, yes, the springboard element to this was big because there wasn't a ton that effectively happened. These two, these these groups of humans traded places in terms of where they were. That that that's what happened over the course of eight episodes. And again, while that's very intriguing to a lot of people, I can understand why someone walking away from this feeling a little bit stuck as to sort of what we were doing this whole time, other than setting up stuff we already knew and then just otherwise sort of projecting onto things that we don't know. Yeah, and again, I go back to Empire Strikes Back, which is the the gold standard, always has been, always will be but sitting in the theater as a teenager and a preteen and, and thinking about when it ended at the, at the, in the moment feeling unsatisfied because the good guys just got their butts kicked for two and a half hours. Right. <laughs> but then also leaving hopeful because, all right, there's a plan, but I have no idea what that plan is. And, and, and quite frankly, they, they mishandled all of this. You know, we're introduced to Luke as whiny, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with this. I've got the cave with the face, and I'm, I'm trying to process all of these things. And that's what this series reminded me of. It just wasn't, you know, mashed into one movie. And by the way, speaking of open-endedness, and 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 again, Thrawn's kind of, you know, uh, cold trickle remember me moment as he drives off, you know, into turn one. You know, when when he, when he says to Ahsoka, he says, you know, I, I know who your master was. You know, I know what happened to him. Perhaps this is the beginning of one of those things. Got in her brain and left. And, right. and that's kind of how I feel like the show is done. You know, get in your brain, make you think about this, where you go, nuh uh. And then the more you think about it, you know, she's on this planet far, far away, and she's got nothing to do but think. And now we have however much time we have before the next go around of Ahsoka or whatever's yeah. next in this timeline to think about this. And so I go back to what happened to me in 1980. I got my Hoth, you know, vacation hat on right now and, and thinking about, you know, that was so great, but I don't know where I am right now and, uh, and, and having to wait for that. And that's kind of where we are again. And I love it. I mean, and, and, and I, and again, going back to Filoni, I feel like that's, that is, that is not an accident at all. No. And, uh, and, and, and again, introducing you to these characters and making you care about them and you can go back and do all the research you want, or you can just stick with what we have right now. But that moment of a de facto father or, or, or mother and son 
with the ghost there in the background. You know, that just was the visuals of that were just um there was no way that that was going to be thrown by you. You know, you you had to get that whether you whether you knew who these characters were, you know, 8 weeks ago or not. I'm very disappointed. I missed the hat memo. Yeah, well, I will. The hat memo. That, that's the only time I don't have this hat on is, is on TV, and I usually would do that anyway. So you can take your lovely back. You see, you see my hat. My hat. I got a. I got a Grogu hat on. Grogu, a star. By the yeah. way, I got a Grogu T-shirt on. Grogu, a star. This is what was lacking from this series to me was no discernible star came out of this. You don't, you don't think Ahsoka was, was a star? I think Ahsoka was obviously a star, but like it was kind of a given. You know what I'm saying? Like that that side character that you thought, oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like that that wasn't there. Ryan has got his Ahsoka. He's yeah, got, he's got the, the snips on. You know <laughs> that that part that part wasn't there for me. And sure, that'll be determined. But it was one of those things where, as as Ryan mentioned, get in your head and go. I'm thinking, wait, no, don't say that. What? No, ow. And then it, you know, then 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 it's elusive. So we will continue to tune in as a result. Time now for McGee's Galactic Garage. One of our favorite parts of the entire podcast. McGee, were the TIE Fighters too easily defeated? TIE Fighters are always too easily defeated. Uh, to, to me, TIE Fighters are woefully underappreciated because they are so fast and they are so nimble. And that is one of my favorite moments from The Force Awakens is when is when Poe Dameron finally gets to, he said, I always wanted to fly one of these things. And we get a moment of, oh gosh, there you go, you know. It's like it's like the stormtroopers, right? You know, it's they're a little too easily defeated. I have broken this down. Obviously, I lost my mind uh, about the E-wing when this series started, but and there are so many options to talk about here. But the Eye of Scion is the most fascinating spaceship to me because it's a ring, right? Yeah, and it's not just a ring. It is going back to the the prequels. One of the coolest things spaceship wise that we had that came out of the prequels were, you know, the, the hyperspace rings, you know, you got a little light Jedi freighter or a fighter and you want to make the jump to, to light speed. You plug into this ring and you move on. And the first time that we saw the ring of Scion, I'm Leo DiCaprio on the couch, right? I point and I go, Oh my gosh, I think this is a hyperspace ring. And that's exactly what it is. It's just that to the bazillionth degree. I mean, you have, you have three clusters of hyperdrives. Uh, by my count, and, and I've not seen anything on all my my favorite you know spaceship spaceship nerd sites, but by my count, we've got six, seven, at least seven hyperdrives strapped to this thing. And I actually called some of my friends in motorsports that have a uh, a tractor pull background. And what I asked was, I'm sorry, when you're doing a tractor pull, and I would be interrupted by these guys immediately. Go, oh no no no, the goal is you strap as many engines to the tractors you possibly can. That's to create it. as much horsepower. That's it. That's all it is. And the only the only goal is to build something that you can strap all these engines to that won't just completely come apart underneath all the horsepower and the torque. That's the Ring of Scion. And by the way, and I love this, for you're talking about deep dive. You folks out there do your Google search for Scion because uh, we're talking about an all-time top-level master of Sith evil. Like when we talk about resurrecting yourself you know, and, th and this goes back to, I mean, this goes back to Old Republic, like you got a deep dive into into books, but Scion was a monster and, and resurrected himself using the dark side of the force and just became a killing machine. And so there's a nice little nod there. And some of my real deep dive people are thinking, oh, we're going to see him. I don't know if we're going to see him, but that's what this is. But, but the fact that 
you have created a hyperspace ring for a star destroyer. And even the mechanics of it were exactly, I actually went back when the show was over with, and I went back and watched Obi-Wan in the last two of the the prequel films when he made these docks. And, 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 you know, the first ring had two little uh, uh, hyperspace cores. The second ring had six. And so it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But just the idea of being able to strap a Star Destroyer into this thing and hit the go button. I mean, it's, it's space balls, right? It's ludicrous speed is exactly <laughs> what it is. And, 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 I, and I just, but I, I just, to me, that ring, and again, Filoni Fel, uh, very open about the fact that he loves Lord of the Rings. We saw yeah. Ahsoka, you know, change to Ahsoka the white and, and the, the, the ring is not lost on me. And again, one of my favorite visuals was uh, the ring around the planet perfectly you know, as we approach oh, yeah. and, and it was, uh, it just was, uh, but the eye of Scion, man, it's a, it's a space tractor pull. That's what it is. Strap as many engines to it as you can and just hope that it doesn't fall apart. I don't remember the line exactly, but it was my favorite of the finale when Sabine just walked away and said, got him you know, as if, yeah. as if she hasn't just exploded the entire ship yeah, and they're yeah. way off. And yeah. These two TIE fighters are there. She's just like, Oh, by the yeah. way, got him. Got him. Huey Yang's right. like, or uh, Ezra's like, yeah. I don't want to sound obvious, but uh, we might have a delay here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got him. Yeah. yeah that, was, that was, that got was, that was fantastic. Shout out to Rick Moranis, by the way, one of the greats speaking of space balls. Love that guy. So let's talk fashion. We don't have it's a cool turn. name for my segment like Galactic Garage. We need, we, need a, we need a name. Which which is so intimidating on so many levels. That's like having better uniforms when you walk onto the field. Like before anything has even happened, <laughs> I'm already kind of shook. So we got three. We Our top three looks from the finale. Now, number three, and this is kind of an obvious one. It was not the first time we've seen this, but I think we got a little bit more, which was Captain Enoch. Now, obviously the captain of the guard for Thrawn's forces, he had a little kilt going. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like there was a skirt situation happening there that made me it kind of kind of felt very Roman in influence. Um, it had sort of tinges of sort of a kilt situation. I, I, it was not what I was expecting the lower half to look like is what I'm getting at. It was very fashion forward for a guy who's got a gold mask on his face and one of the weirder voice modulators we've heard in all of this. I think that guy put it together very well. Number two is Ahsoka in white. I mean, this this look is straight out of anthropology, like, you know, for the fall collection. I mean, it's something you could buy and wear on the street in Venice Beach, so where I live, soon. Yeah. to Erwan, and plenty of people would have it on. It is a fantastic look overall. The little double, I'm serious, the little double with the X's on top. I was like, where do I, where do I buy this? Yeah. I need to wear this, and not for cosplay. I just want to have it on, because yeah. it looks extremely extremely comfortable and number one and this is a bit of a deep dive here but morgan's hair is on a level of awesomeness with the braids that every single time this happens we can think back to the inquisitors like when there's a hair situation my immediate thought is man i wonder where they get their hair done where's the salon in the galaxy I, i need to know who's putting that together and in particular the scene in which she is with the sisters and she there's a front shot and then she immediately turns and you see the back and the back is even more complex you're like how did you do that where, where who is your person so morgan's <laughs> hair was the number one look for me because that is always frankly as a black person where i'm always wondering who does your stuff because i need to know <laughs> how much they're charging and when i can get an appointment all right I two things it. two yes. things no, number one 
Okay, I keep going back to my wife. My wife has when I met her, a fabulous head of hair. Like yeah. like the first thing I noticed about her in college, still to this day, amazing head of hair. And second of all, she every year, in fact, just in a couple of weeks, hosts a witch party at my house. So okay. like every wine drinking suburban mom within 10 miles is in my yard and there's a theme every year for witches. So she's lost her mind over the fact that we have witches now. We have very <laughs> Macbeth witches in Star Wars. And now she's already thinking about how do I pull off a Morgan look, you know, when it comes nice. time to dress nice. up. And I'm like, all right. I'm like, you know what? I'm into that. You need to do that. And the second thing is <laughs> uh, producer Kelsey just dropped right here in the meeting chat. How about Clinton's catwalk? That's not bad. I like it's it. not, not bad. bad. I'm kind of digging bad. that. It doesn't really that's sound that's Star Warsy point. though. That's what Galactic Garage is so cool. It's You're automatically in the galaxy. So we're going to keep workshopping that. But thank you, Kelsey. I guess I'll go now. Um, I have a new segment to debut. Uh, I'm going to call it, maybe we'll workshop this too. I'm going to call it Tuesday Night Fights based on the fact that Ahsoka Tano Tuesday dropped on Tuesdays. I want to just deep dive onto some of the fight scenes that we saw, in particular the lightsaber battles. And I will say that the finale had a terrific first of all it had a terrific one-on-one -on -one battle it also had a terrific sequence in my opinion the best in the series and we had some really good fights ahsoka's journey ahsoka's fight card this whole season has been interesting <laughs> i've loved ahsoka's journey she can't beat balin right that was a big theme she fights balin i love the whole samurai like very slow fight fight slow move around process deliberate modify game plan i loved that style of fight with balin balin always getting the upper hand i thought that was very important especially to where we are now and even the last time they meet you can't beat me i don't have to see you later that's my tactical advantage i was waiting for morgan to fight speaking of morgan and her wonderful hair that kept up throughout the whole battle scene by uh, the I way mean, it was unreal just hole. it's the best it's amazing the time yeah. uh, obviously as the goddaughter of bruce lee and having the name Lee, Diana Lee and Osanto, like you, 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 you hope for a battle of this caliber. And especially after receiving Mother Talzin's blade, uh, a whole deep dive on the uh, great mothers and the night sisters, et cetera, can be another time. But that was a very important blade for that, uh, for those witches. She receives it. She gets an upgrade. She's 2.0 now, Morgan Elizabeth 2.0. And now she's fighting Ahsoka one-on-one. -on -one. The visuals were great. The battle was intense. The choreography was superb. I loved that battle. What I didn't like was Morgan dying. <laughs> I thought yeah. it was like, oh, no, she gets an upgrade and all of a sudden she's gone just like that. And it was so matter of fact, the the great mothers are like, she's dead. Morgan yeah. is dead. And then Thrawn is like, oh, well, she did what she had to do. Cold blooded. Oh, my Cold God. It's in their veins. What was <laughs> my goodness. They're bad guys. They're yeah, bad yeah. guys. They're That's how it fun. works. I it mean, just he, he literally sends like people out into he's like oh well we have the volunteers go take yeah. care of business so we can get out of here it yeah. was his vibe for sure yeah no You're it's right. it, it it, it's always been his vibe it's all they're all chess pieces to him he because he's he's a he's evil he's a he's bad evil. guy so he should be sure. like that that's that's yeah. a good point the last thing i will say is the entire battle for sabine ezra and ahsoka in the chimera as they're facing the night troopers one of my biggest gripes i know we talked about how easily defeated the the troopers are in general the night troopers i had a little bit more hope for because we saw them the thrawn introduction it just felt so powerful 
And then they became just as pedestrian as every other trooper. But I did love the scene where they were reanimated. We got the trooping dead for a second where they became the zombies and here they are and coming after you. That whole scene felt like I was playing a Star Wars video game. And I appreciated that. That was it, it really was cool. It was a cool development. I, I was expecting a little bit more from their defense as well. You know, I thought they had a couple five stars. They really looked like kind of a lower conference team in terms of their fightability. And when they regenerated, I was like, oh, well, this is this is going to be a blowout. You know what I mean? But I thought that that was interesting for them to regenerate. But we also got one of my favorite things, as you know, we bring up a lot of times is we got a we got a triple a tricolor lightsaber situation with the green white and blue all across the line we while can. they were battling which is which is a great visual every time i like it when we get multiple lightsaber colors at once because that's just kind of the fun part of all this at the end of the day for me and, and i love the fact that I, I thought there were so many great I and mean, we, we, we had multiple battles lightsaber duels between balin and, and ahsoka and i love the fact that that such careful attention was paid for to Balin's fighting style because yeah. if you go back and look at you know we, we talked about this you know in, in the Anakin episode um the fact that it was a reminder of how scary he was and a reminder of how powerful he was and he was making really in in that battle he was making this transition between you know the Anakin that we saw in the prequels the spinning flipping and whatever else this was somewhere in between that and what Vader did because he just yes. was beating her down. Like it, it just it just was bang, bang, bang. You can't stop this. And Balin had a lot of that in his because yeah. he's just physically big. And so it was an old school style. You know, he learned in the same temple at the same time that Anakin did. And so I just thought that was um I, I thought that was pretty brilliant. Yeah, they had some like yeah, that whole sequence, the flashing of the Darth Vader, like that episode five is is an all-timer. We talked about that in a, in a previous episode. If you want, I will to ask you guys on one quick question: Who yeah. is your personal MVP from this season of this show? Ooh, that's a great question. Balin jumps to mind. Uh, obviously, the great late great Ray Stevenson. You know, like the, the the last scene that we will see of him in Star Wars, like that powerful moment where he's literally opening up a whole new uh, story for Star Wars fans. Obviously, gone too soon, and uh, you know, it's just a fantastic performance throughout the entire season. I loved that character and I was speculating probably the most on what was calling to him. So I mm. will go with Balin Skull. Right. And by the way, let's not sleep on Ezra. I don't need a lightsaber. I'm good. And, and that, <laughs> right. And, and, and that's a guy that has not had one in a long time. So he's had to improvise. It's, it's a reminder of how long, you know, they were there. And oh, by the way, uh, not only didn't have a lightsaber and wasn't able to fight with one, but clearly had just wiped out you know, divisions of stormtroopers, you know? And so, so I, I thought that, I thought that was, and was made one in the honor of his master Kane and Jairus, right? Like, it, where you how great was the that right part? Yeah. Oh. And of course, when Ezra is building his lightsaber, essentially we get the nod to his master Kane and Jairus, the color changes, the style changes, who Yang finds the correct piece that hits you in the feels, especially if you are a fan of rebels, that whole relationship there and always the nod to Kanan throughout the series with Hera and now Ezra. I absolutely love that. Yeah, and, and you know who else loves lightsabers is a, a dedicated listener to the program, and we appreciate you reaching out, is, is Aaron. Aaron. Aaron has a question about the colors of the lightsabers. And, you know, what's interesting is as hardcore as I always was as a kid, uh, it was my brother, uh, who, by the way, went to Yale Law School, so clearly he's smarter than I am. But my brother's the one that pointed out, you know, red goes to the bad guys, 
blue goes to the good guys. And as all of this has gotten more complicated and more and expanded, those colors have obviously changed. You know, obviously uh, the famous clip that shows up on my Instagram algorithm about four times a day of Samuel L. Jackson looking at George Lucas and going, I want a purple lightsaber. And he, and he <laughs> oh, got one, right? Purple lightsaber, yeah. yeah. But, but the meaning of the white lightsaber art, you know, and, and the fact mm-hmm. that, you know, depending on what series you're watching and what timeline it is, you'll notice that Ahsoka Tano has multiple has different colors over the years Yes, and it's white now. And, it, and, and it's this idea of, um, and I, I won't get into the science of kyber crystals and all that stuff, but the white lightsaber is this idea of, representing an independent spirit you know if you're blue or you're green you know you're with the good guys if you're red and and in the case of of balen and, and you know my tennessee people love to point this out go vols the orange lightsaber right the orange, but it's yeah. that, right but it's that kind of, but but this idea of a white lightsaber it's about an independent spirit which obviously ahsoka is right yeah and the color white just being a theme for ahsoka throughout the whole series right not only the white yep. sabers but just her becoming you know just like gandalf ahsoka the white so there's definitely a common thread there yeah, and then for someone like me who sometimes likes to think he's Darth Vader and sometimes likes to think he's Luke Skywalker, I have uh, one of those lightsabers that changes colors all the time. So there you go. That's uh, maybe somebody someday somebody will have one of those. They can't decide what they want to be. <laughs> Just take the orange so you're in the middle somewhere. Yeah, go Vols, right? So that goes to my MVP, and I've thought about this a lot, but it's hard not to, in an episode, which, by the way, I cannot believe we're just, I'm just now bringing this up, C-3PO, by the way, and and not oh, only see right. not only see through PO Admiral Akbar, uh, my man sitting on the sitting <laughs> on the allegedly sit, allegedly no nah, it was him it was him <laughs> I, I, no, no all that you have read and studied and done about Throne I have done that about Akbar yeah. I mean I, I have the book right here behind me you know the Admiral I, I book there's only one book written about Admiral Akbar and I have it and and but but I'll say this <laughs> this quote of a mere droid right but the MVP is is the professor I mean Wang. What what he did, I mean, okay, you guys go fight. I'm going to fix the ship for the umpteenth time, right? And oh, by the way, while I'm fixing the ship the first time, I'm going to be attacked by these guys, and I'm going to kick their butt. And so I just and, – and, and the words of wisdom that were laid out and his ability also to explain things and maybe my favorite Easter egg in the whole show, you know, if you really know Filoni, then you know how much that he, he believes deeply in his heart that Phantom Menace is the greatest Star Wars film. And there's that conversation that takes place where Ahsoka says, well, let's, let's, you know, you know, this history. And he goes, yes, I know episodes one, two, and three. And Ahsoka says, and episode one is the best. That right there was in their own purpose. There's no question in my mind. Yeah. And and so it's, um, but, but the, but but the professor, I mean, and, and then, and then that amazing moment where Ezra doesn't know who he is and then suddenly realizes he knew my master. He trained my master. He built his lightsaber. And here's the part that he was saving, that he was saving for, for, for you know, just in case. And now, you know, again, the de facto son uh, gets to gets to use that as the final piece for his new lightsaber. I think the, I think the professor might be the MVP, just like R2-D2 is the MVP of the whole thing of all time. And if you want to go check out our droid draft, you can do that. Because uh, we did that, by yeah. the way. Now, I asked you guys this question, but I did not expect Ryan to steal my entire thunder. So I will get to my points about the professor in a little bit. But the breakout star for me was Sabine. I felt like just who her character is, how she dressed, how she acted was just for the person that might have walked into this not knowing anything was easily the most 
the person you could take the most away from as a character in terms of relating to, I think, sort of the modern day understanding of what we think Star Wars is. She was the breakout star. But the MVP for me was, I'm with you, Ryan. Who Yang? I mean, yeah. you, my, my man was popping up every single time you needed him with Zinger. He's the funniest character of the whole show. Yeah. You know, Zinger's uh, expertise. And even when he dipped back and said, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. I'll never um, hear those words the same yep. way ever again. Yep. Never mind yep. what it could mean for the storytelling process. That is literally the voice I am going to hear every single time I read those words when I watch the movies with my friends and family on the holidays. That was yep. tremendous. Hu Yang led Pipe Lock MVP for me for this for this series. Yep. And he's on my team in the droid draft, which yes. I'm very happy about. So you can go uh, <laughs> yes. listen to that episode. I, I will say this. I would love a social clip. Just speaking of droids, um, I don't know if Dave Filoni uh, will ever reveal the voice lines as Chopper, but I would love a social clip of what Chopper was saying throughout yeah. the season. It'd be really yeah. funny, especially when he's like merely a droid. And then Carson Teva's like, whoa, 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 chill, dude. It's all good. Like, <laughs> I would love that. That'd be really funny. But and by the way, shout out to the no tea, right? The turtle people. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, come on, they, they were they were amazing. They were the they were amazing. The they, they literally circled the wagons. I mean, you know, and and, and and you know, and oh by the way, helped fix the ship. And, and oh by the way, I mean, I mean, I mean, again, and this goes back to you know Filoni's clear love of all of this. They're the Ewoks, right? I mean, it, yes. it's an it's an Ewok slash Jawa, you know, situation. That's the offense they're yeah. running for That's sure. That's it. That's it. And and, and, and and I love it. I love it. And 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 sometimes. Uh, you know, there is humor missing in a lot of this. And they brought that humor to it. And also, by the way, um, you couldn't have won without them. And, and that's, the to, to me, part of the beauty of this entire universe is the fact that the little guy matters. Mm. And, and you, you know, the, the fact of the matter is you don't win indoor without the Ewoks. I don't care if they annoy you or not. You know, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, the Jawas very quietly, just take care of things, right? You know, they're, they're, they're a pain in the butt and they smell bad and, and all those things, but, but, but they have put pieces in play that were the key to, you know, this whole thing. And, mm -hmm. and I love, I love the no tea. And now those are Ahsoka's people, right? And, and, yes. and what role will they play going forward? So that's what I love so much about the, um, about this universe is the fact that, you know, the little guy matters, you know, and, 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 and we get to see more and more. We're introduced to so many of them. Um, you know, almost every episode of every series. Do we have any news on what we get next? Do we know yet? So Gents? I have the list in front of me. So, so the one thing we will say is we will have more episodes. This ties a bow on the Ahsoka season one era of Never Tell Me the Odds are official ESPN Star Wars podcast. Uh, we will endeavor to bring you uh, as many evergreen or just fun conversation episodes as we can throughout. So that is something that is absolutely going to happen. And we have a great crew behind the scenes that supports this. And we can't be more thankful. Skeleton crews on the docket and or season two is on the docket. The acolyte is on the docket. And of course, the movies that will probably be a few years out now. But I will say this. I am in a fantastic spot as a Star Wars fan with what is to come. I'm very excited with the breadth of storytelling that we've seen in recent series Andor and Ahsoka and the juxtaposition included. I love the opening of a whole new galaxy to be able to tell stories there. We still have different eras in time. McGee, you mentioned the uh, uh, the dawn of the Jedi era, that like thousands of years BBY that we haven't even really dove into in 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 in, in many forms. Like we have anything near the original trilogy in terms of timeline with give or take a hundred years, right? So 
I feel as a Star Wars fan, there's so much more to come that I am in a good place. And again, like I said, with Thrawn and his uh, mannerisms throughout the show, I am going to let Mr. Filoni cook. I think that's a good strategy. I, I, th- I think well. I, I think it's a great strategy. And yes, and, and the and by the way, uh, I should have mentioned this in Galactic Garage, but one of our very own, and this is something that we're going to do going forward with this podcast, is talk to the athletes who love this as much as we do. It mm-hmm. is an ESPN podcast after all. Shout out to Ryan Blaney. The force was with him at Talladega. And, uh, and for folks that don't know, he's a, he's a really good looking, should be super bigger star than he is NASCAR driver, one at Talladega. And his Twitter bio literally says aspiring Jedi. And so, uh, he's a listener. We're going to get him on the show at some point. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's been digging Ahsoka and we've been digging it too. And I boys, I, I can't believe we get to do this and I'm looking yeah, forward to doing whatever comes next. All right. I, my only final thought more Anakin. It's always my final. Thought. Oh Yeah. Thanks, boys. Oh, 100% we have not seen the last of Anakin Skywalker. I'm nope. going to put my name on that. 100%. <laughs> what a redemption season for that guy. Anyway, that's a whole other very conversation. Thank you very much for listening. Wherever you find our podcast, uh, you will be hearing more episodes in the near future, even before the next Star Wars show drops. May the Force be with you. This is the way. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>